Hey, good morning. Uh, everybody make it through the holiday season in one piece? Sometimes you, it's a blessing, but it can be exhausting sometimes. Well, if you looked at the, uh, the handout for today, uh, you might notice something here. Uh, one of the problems with a title like this and a message like this is that, you know, people don't like to be reminded of parting with their money. Unless it's for things that they get from stores like Stuff Mart. My, my source for that was Veggie Tales. I think it's a great name for a store. Uh, uh, and uh, especially when that message comes from a church pulpit. Um, and maybe, you know, I hope that the reason the, the attendance today is because people are still traveling and not because they knew about what this message was titled. Uh, uh, but, alas, this is where we left off, or where I left off last August, in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and we finished Matthew 5 in July with deep conviction, and then in August... Uh, I gave you the good news that chapter 6 is even more convicting uh, when you study it. So a bit of a review here of, of what we studied in August since it was so long ago. Uh, there we first looked at the delicate balance between verse 1 that says we are not to practice our righteousness before people in order to be seen by them with the apparent conflict or paradox of chapter 5, where we studied Jesus' command to let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, we saw that these passages both address doing good deeds before others with the objective to be seen by them. In Matthew 5, Jesus seems to command. In Matthew 6, he seems to prohibit. Kind of seems contradictory. Uh, the answer to this apparent contradiction is the fact that Jesus is addressing two different sins. It is our fear of men, our cowardice, that draws the command to let our light shine before men. It is our pride and our vanity that draws the command of chapter 6 to not practice our piety before others. And so we try to come up with a way to manage this, and, and there's, a, there's a maxim that says that we should hide when we're tempted to show, and we should show, let our light shine, when we're tempted to hide. Just a practical way of, of dealing with that. Uh, We've got to, our testimony must be public so that our light shines, but our spiritual discipline and devotion must be private so that we don't end up taking pride in it. The goal of both is to glorify God and not self. Uh, we also, in August, talked about the subtlety of our temptations to please or impress others uh, around us born out of our desire to simply please ourselves. In short, We've got to choose. We'll either please God or self. Can't do both. 
we then talked about grasping our relationship with God. Success comes when we make it our chief goal in life to please God at all times and in everything. And this is difficult because, as we all know, God is omniscient. He sees everything. He knows everything, including what's in here. Finally, we talked about rewards. Okay? Some people don't like to talk about rewards. But we should be both excited and concerned about rewards in heaven. But we've got to resist the temptation to look for our rewards from men because if that's all that we're after, that is all we will get. We forfeit the eternal for the temporary. <clears throat> Today, uh, we move on to the first of three specific examples. And this one is referred in the King James, the authorized version, as almsgiving, or simply helping others in need. Now, it might be with money, it might be with time, it might be with a helping hand. But regardless of how it is done, it is something we are all called to do. You know, clear throughout Scripture, the Old Testament consistently emphasized the importance of doing this. In Deuteronomy 15, it says that you shall give to the poor freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be the poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Uh, and here at Lion and Lamb, we encourage people to give and to serve. We try to regularly provide different ministries in which you might serve, whether it's here or in places like the Rescue Mission, Young Life, Doxazo, Safe Families, uh, Haiti Lifeline Ministries, Caring Pregnancy Options and other pro-life groups, uh, or Lunch Buddies. That's a ministry, not a treat that you'll hear about next week. Uh, Lion and Lamb also regularly assists with benevolence uh, to folks who have needs using the tithes and offerings that you give. Our passage today starts in verse 2 of chapter 6, and I'll just read it here. Uh, it's on your sheet. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, that, uh, the first uh, definition we'll look at here is the one for give, the Greek Ilimosume, deeds of mercy and pity. Pretty simple. The context is always important when we look at any particular passage. And the chapter 5 ends with an emphasis on being kind even to the ungrateful and the selfish. We are to be sons of our Father who makes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. In Luke 6, it tells us to love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Therefore, we are to give to others, 
even to those to whom we really don't want to give. Now, giving is not just a spiritual discipline for mature believers. It's an act of faith. And it's exemplified in uh, Mark 12, where the widow gives a mere penny compared to the large sums that the wealthy give. And Jesus notices this, and he directs the attention of the disciples to the widows, saying that she has put in more than all the others, all the wealthy. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Clearly, he's pointing out, this woman had great faith. You know, but this message and this passage is not really about generous giving. Now's the time when we all give a, a collective sigh of relief. Right? You see? No, no. It is much, much worse than that. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that generosity is assumed. But generosity is not enough. The focus, not just in this passage, but throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is motivation, the hidden thoughts of the heart, our reason to give. So let's take a step back for a bigger picture. Now, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And a cornerstone of a structure is, uh, is, is something that's set to lay lines for building straight and true. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sets the line straight by explaining how his law is to be applied, the spirit of the law. For example, in uh, Matthew 5, he explains that the scribes and Pharisees missed the full application of the sixth and seventh commandments. Murder committed in the heart through or unwarranted anger. And lust is just heart adultery. Now, Jesus makes it clear that this higher or heart standard applies not just to sins, but also to the good things we think we're doing, like giving. He's looking not at what the hand is doing when it places the check in the collection plate, but what the heart is doing while the hand is doing. So today we're going to look at three possible motives in giving. And if you look at the study sheet, it's kind of obvious which is the right one. Okay? It's kind of like in primary Sunday school, where there's a 50-50 chance that the answer to every question is God or Jesus. Okay? This one is easy. However, we list them all because I would suspect that most, if not all, of us here have engaged in the first two. So let's look at the first one. Public praise of people. The scribes and Pharisees had a ravenous appetite for the praise of men. In John 5, 
Jesus is healing at the pool of Bethesda. And then he angers the Jews by claiming to be the son of and equal with God. <clears throat> and they get upset with him. And he then asks the Jews why they receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God. Later in chapter 12, John explains that even some of the Jewish leaders who believed in Jesus would not confess him so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Why? Because they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This same appetite for the praise and approval of men spoiled their giving. It caused them to make a public show. Hence the reference to a trumpet. Charles Spurgeon put it like this, to stand with a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other is the posture of hypocrisy. Okay? Now that word hypocrisy in the Greek, hypocrites, was originally an orator or an actor. Uh, and so the word eventually was applied to anyone who treats the world as a stage in which he assumes a false identity, like usually with a mask. Now, in the theater, we get it. Nobody's deceived. Everybody knows it's put on for a show. But the religious hypocrite is intentionally trying to deceive. So the audience, us usually who see this, is led to believe that he or she is virtuous. He does this so that he will receive applause for his sacrificial giving. In reality, that's not who he is at all, at least not in heart. Now, this reference to a trumpet uh, in this passage may have been actual trumpets sounding from the temple, calling people to come in to contribute for the poor. But more likely, Jesus is using a metaphorical term here to describe the giver who is blowing his own horn to announce his gift to draw attention to himself, all for applause. Now, does this happen today? Well, yeah, all the time. Uh, have you ever been into a majestic building and seen a plaque on the wall? Or gotten a, a magazine from a charitable organization with a list at, at some point, maybe at different levels like gold, silver, and bronze? You know, and when those charitable organizations send out their fundraising letters announcing the opportunity for those announcements on the wall or in a magazine or on the bricks, it is really just an offer for the praise of man. And sometimes Christians fall for that very same temptation. Now, if your name happens to be on one of those lists or one of those walls, one of those plaques somewhere, or one of your loved ones, I'm not saying it's a grave sin. What I am saying is that if this verse means what it says, that announcement was probably not the wisest decision. See, Jesus makes it clear here that when those announcements are made, when the trumpet sounds, he has his reward. So, what is that reward? 
Well, you know, you can judge for yourself. You've, you've seen this happen. You know, last week, Christy and I visited a museum in one of those grand old train stations that had been refurbished. I'm sure at great expense. And at one point, I found, my, I found myself standing on the marble floor, looked down, and I saw names. Okay, I looked around. There are several names scattered around, engraved on the floor. And you know those were the folks who footed the bill for this renovation. Uh, and you know, that was last week, and I can't remember one of them. Uh, the verb translated here, have, they have their reward, is the Greek apeko, which means to receive a sum in full and give a receipt for it. In other words, the hypocrites who seek the approval of people get what they wanted, and that's all they're going to get. They do not receive what is most important and most lasting. So how does the contemporary church practice match up here? Some could argue that the use of collection plates is public to some extent. Okay, Now, at Lion Lamb, we don't use collection plates uh, primarily because we believe that uh, the giver should take the initiative as a spiritual discipline freely and cheerfully, not out of guilt because a plate is passing under one's nose. Uh, I'm not saying it's wrong for a church to pass a collection plate. It's just that we at this church have tried to eliminate that as a possible motive. So... We have a collection box out in the foyer and in the, and in the basement. But some might argue that those giving boxes are not completely private. And for those of you who are on that bent, let me just say that, you know, there are just some practicalities here. Uh, remember, Jesus saw the widow giving. You know, there, there's, there's got to be some way to collect the offering. Uh, and uh, someone's got to make an accounting. Somebody's got to deposit it in the bank. But that giving is always kept in confidence. And, uh, you know, the, the elders and the deacons, they don't even know who gives. We never publish the list. And, and just as an aside here, if you feel you need something more private, you know, tell us we've talked about electronic online giving. We didn't get much response. If that's really the way you want to go, tell us and we could do that because that's an option today. Uh, but the key that Jesus brings home here. To, to wrap this part up, is that we don't announce our financial giving with a trumpet or otherwise. We don't do it publicly either. Rather, we give in secret to the extent possible. Now, to end this up here, uh, the primary application here seems to be material giving. Uh, what about serving? Well, you know, serving involves doing, and it's kind of hard to hide or to do in secret a lot of times. So let's just keep in mind, what's the spirit here? Okay, uh, When we serve, when we do stuff, uh, we should have an attitude of humility not to gain attention. That takes us back to the command to not do our works before men as opposed to let your light shine before men. Uh, and that balance, and the, again, the, glo the, the, the goal being to glorify God, not ourselves. However, secret giving does not get us out of the woods. And this is where it starts to hurt a little bit more. Uh, Jesus explains that the Christian way of giving, uh, he, he says it in the negative, but when you give to the needy, 
do not your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. How secret? Your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. So in some sense, we are not to even tell ourselves. Yeah, this sounds like one of those mind games that Jesus sometimes plays with it, right? right. Uh, how can we make sense of this? Again, as usual, we have to look at the spirit of what Jesus commands here. Is it possible that the heart of man is so deceitful that we can give in secret without announcement or the praise of others while at the same time pat ourselves on the back and still violate the command? Almost seems Satan's got us coming and going, doesn't it? Uh, The immediate purpose of almsgiving is to aid the needy as a work of mercy. Yet your secret mercy may still turn to vanity. Uh, If the principal purpose is not to benefit the needy, but rather to benefit our own ego. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, in referring to this statement, let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing, said that Jesus was sounding the death knell of the old man. By that he meant that the self-centeredness of our old life belongs to our old sin nature, but our new life belongs to Christ. And Christ calls us to a life of uncalculating generosity. Get that, uncalculating. We don't try to figure it all out and total it up. Now, if you've been around contemporary Christian culture, you know there's a problem here. Because we often teach as good stewards and certainly devotees of Dave Ramsey, we should know where every dollar goes, including our gifts. And you might rightly point out that, you know, I can't very well write out the check with my eyes and my mind closed, right? You know, we are always going to know what we give. Uh, But what Jesus is saying here is that once we give, once we've written out the check and placed it in the box, we forget about it. We don't dwell on it. We let it go and give praise to God for the ability to give. In other words, we're not keeping track of our giving emotionally. We're not accruing accounts receivable from God for our giving. Christian giving is characterized by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, and it does not know self-applause. Well, let's move on to the correct answer here. Thankfulness to and approval of God. I want to first mention a related but a distinct issue here. We're not so much talking today about how we give. Paul tells us how we give in 2 Corinthians 9, where he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful Giver. Hear that word cheerful. So emotion does play a role. Rather, today we're talking about why. Just what is the reason to give? We've already mentioned a genuine desire to assist the needy, an act of mercy, not of vanity. But our motivation of necessity must 
go beyond that. Uh, This is what separates Christians from unbelievers who help the poor. And this distinction goes back to our discussion several weeks ago about truth and the essentiality of a source of truth for all of us. You know, one could rightly point out that there are plenty of unbelievers who generously help others. There's no question about that. Now, while I can't prove it, I assume that some unbelievers even give anonymously. The question is, why? One answer may come from the way that God made us in our raw, unregenerate form. Uh, where he says in Romans 2, Paul, he makes it clear that, that Paul makes it clear that the Gentiles who were not under the law by nature do what the law requires, and that work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. Unbelievers generally know right from wrong, and they know that it's a good thing to give to the poor. They also know that it feels good to give. Speaking of that, you know, feel-good stories abound during the Christmas season. I found out this year there's a whole channel devoted completely to feel-good stuff. It's called the Hallmark Channel. It's one movie after another, pretty much the same plot. Uh, but maybe it's, it's a wonderful life. Or my favorite, the Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. Great story about what happens when you shift your focus from yourself to others. And I, I first want to make a distinction here. I think there is a difference between praise of self and experiencing the joy of helping others. In fact, that joy is some of the glue that holds the body of Christ together when we give to and serve one another. We're going to talk more about that later. But you might think I'm the Scrooge here. Uh, While we love those feel-good stories, does not the question remain? What is our reason? What our motivation for helping those in need? Does it not go beyond feeling good about ourselves or even about the giving? I would submit to you that the unbeliever would be hard-pressed to give a reason beyond just that because he has no source for his truth. I would also suggest that the urge to feel good about giving is insufficient to sustain generosity. See, a generous generous person uh, may not seek the praise of man, yet if a secret giver lacks a motivation outside of himself, a transcendent reason to give, he will eventually abandon generosity and good works. Why? You know, if there's no approval from others, if he's giving in secret, uh, the feeling will fade when the giver sees that it just doesn't pay. He feels unappreciated. He feels taken advantage of. And he sees others getting or enjoying more of their own by looking out for number one. It's only the God of the Bible that gives a coherent reason to give and serve beyond the praise of men, or of self, or of feeling good. That reason, that motivation, is to love and to seek 
the approval of the God of the universe who gave every one of us, you and me, life and all that we have, who perfectly loved us so much that he sent his innocent son to the cross as payment for my sins and your sins to satisfy his perfect justice so that we as undeserving sinners might have the joy of worshiping him forever. Can you think of a greater motivation than that? You know, if that's not enough to motivate someone, I don't know what is. John Calvin said that we ought to be satisfied with having God for our only witness. You know, we may have the ability to keep our giving secret from others and we can forget about it ourselves. But we cannot keep it secret from God and He will not forget the passage ends with, and your father who sees in secret will, will reward you. What is that reward? Well, the commentators have come up with at least a couple of explanations. And I'm going to take the easy way out. I'm going to accept them both. Uh, the first is one, as C.S. Lewis puts it, uh, explains that Proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. And what he means by this is that, you know, uh, to reward a schoolboy who studies diligently with a silver cup is not really a proper reward. Now, a scholarship to Oxford would be a proper reward for that particular activity. And that's good parenting advice as well. You know, you know when there's uh, an offense, the consequence should match the offense. It should relate. And when there's a reward, it should match what was done. So the secret giver who does not keep a spiritual ledger of his good deeds, who gives to those in need out of genuine love, has the joy of seeing the need relieved when the hungry are fed, when the desolate are clothed, when the sick are healed, when the lost are saved, the joy that one receives is from seeing the gift satisfied. That's why Jesus told us it is better, more blessed to give than to receive. And so I believe that this is a real reward that we experience temporally. But while real and very satisfying, I believe this is the lesser reward. And we've already seen how that by announcing to others or even secretly uh, keeping a spiritual account, we foolishly accept that as our only reward. However, if we forget about our secret gift and do all to please God, Jesus tells us here that God will keep the account. 
He sees everything and records it all. Uh, and nothing we have done in that way will be forgotten, even the smallest act. Yet we see this in Matthew 25, where he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous people will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked or, and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see, the righteous did it in secret, and then they forgot about it. They ask, when did we do this? And the answer is, he witnessed it, and he wrote it down. These rewards may not come in this life, but he will reward when it counts forever. On that great day when the secrets of all people are disclosed, when the book will be opened and every single detail of all that you have done for God's glory will be announced and you will receive your reward before all. That's the moment that each of us should focus on. Why settle for the pitiful praise of people or even just the thrill of giving? Look forward only to that day in eternity when you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Father in heaven, our hearts are evil and wicked and we pray, Lord, that you would cleanse them. And as we understand that we are to give. We are to serve. Lord, Lord, please help us to have the right motive, the right reason to give. Lord, cleanse us from any desire for the praise of others or even ourselves. Help us to forget it and allow you to keep track. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to learn from your word. And most of all, Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, who gave us through his own sacrifice, through whose, his own giving, the privilege of knowing you and spending eternity with you. We ask all these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.